Well, good morning. Uh, yeah, it's really good to be here. Um, my name is Jeremy Martini. I'm president at uh, Horizon College, and you got to see a little tour of our, of our new facility. Um, I don't know what you guys were doing during COVID, but we decided it'd be a great time in the middle of winter even to move an entire campus to something new. So uh, there weren't, wasn't enough going on. So uh, it's, it's, uh, it's been a, a really tremendous uh, move for us, and uh, it's really thanks to, to you guys. You guys have been uh, faithfully supporting us for many years, and uh, without that, this move would not have, uh, would not have been possible. So uh, thank you. Uh, really, really appreciate it, and uh, and thank you for your continued investment in in, in leaders coming out uh, from from our our little college. Anyone um, been part of one of the? We've actually had three campuses. Anyone been on any of them? I see those hands. I see those hands. All right, fantastic. You are blessed, uh, and we are we're blessed to have had you. Um, yeah, and glad to have you come out. Just a couple of notes, just uh, just to introduce myself a little bit, um, and just a quick update on the on the college. It's not just the uh, the campus that's changed. Some great opportunities have uh, have been emerging from us. We're we're located in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, but we also serve Manitoba, Northwestern Ontario, uh, for Pentecost Assemblies of Canada. Um, we also have made partnerships with other denominations as well, so we're helping to, to train leaders for, for multiple different groups. Um, each one gets to keep its own distinctives, including the, the, the Pentecost Assemblies of Canada, so we, we continue to, to offer that focus. And we are, uh, we've also signed some agreements so with uh, Saskatchewan Polytechnic, um, which, which would be kind of like a Robertson College here. Uh, so we have an agreement with them, and, and we can blend learning, and we can do that with Robertson or with uh, Brandon U or other places like that as well. So if you've got training in different, uh, from different institutions, we can, we can combine that. So that's an exciting development. I'd be happy to chat with you uh, about that. I have a table there in the, in the hallway if you're on site here, if you're online then, uh, then you, can, you can just go to our website and, and see what we have going on. Um, but uh, it's, it's, been a, it's been a journey, and it's been exciting. Um, I have a little picture of my family up there. Uh, that's, I have, a, I have a, a son, a daughter, a um, son who is 16, a daughter who's 13, uh, one wife, um, and one dog who thinks it's a cat. And any of you who have small dogs know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, so it's, it's been, it's been a, a good time. Um, COVID has brought our family, in some ways, it's brought challenges. In some ways, it's been an opportunity for us to get to, to, get to know each other better because we had no other options. So uh, there will be worse stuck together. And you probably have experienced some of that yourselves, uh, as, well as, as well as other challenges. But... Uh, Really, this, this morning, what I want to talk to you about is family. I think it's fitting that we had a baby dedication. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work that in here to my, to my chat this morning because uh, it, it really fits like that. And sort of one of the, the, the messages I've, God's put on my heart for different churches is, is, is this. Um, but the, the title of my message uh, is, is Leave Your Father in the Boat. And... Uh, and we're going to take a look at a couple of verses, but, but as, we, as we think about family, uh, it's one of the things is, as Christians, we, we have a high value on family, and we think this is a, a good and godly value 
uh, that we have, and it is a good and godly value. But as I reflect on family, I think about Jesus and his family, and the family that, that Jesus experienced in his, in his day, not just Jesus, but all the people in, in Jesus' day. And, and I come to this, uh, this realization that Jesus' family looked quite different to ours. Uh, so we have our, our image of family, and sometimes you might think mom and dad, and like, like my family, mom, dad, two kids, and a dog that thinks it's a cat, and you, you think you've arrived. Uh, but, but in Jesus' day, the family was actually quite different uh, to ours. Uh, in, in his day, uh, your family would include um, a husband or a, a father, uh, and that, that man was the absolute head of the house. I don't mean this in some figurative sense. I mean literally uh, the man in Jesus' day um, had ultimate authority, ultimate power, to the point that under Roman law, if he wanted to kill his child, there were actually no legal repercussions for that. You, you could, you, there was nothing that you could do to him. That was his property. Uh, so he could treat his family as harshly uh, as, as he wished with no repercussions. It was, it was quite a harsh world. In addition, you had, to, in addition to children, you also had as part of your family structure in that day, uh, slaves would have been part of the family structure. They wouldn't have been given much status, but they would have been part of the household. And we see that later on in the New Testament where Paul's talking to different family structures. And you think, well, all of a sudden, why is, why is he talking about slaves here? And this was, this was part of the family structure uh, that was there. Uh, women and children had very little status in society, next to no status at all. Ultimately, really, the, the father or the husband uh, had all authority uh, in, in that household. Uh, and, and families were often blended for a couple of reasons. So, so the, the children in the household might have two, might have been from two, three, four different women. And, and partly that's because divorce was high, highly rampant. It was quite easy to get divorced, and, and it, was done, it was done quite quickly. We see that later when, when Jesus gives some restrictions on, on divorce, the disciples think that this is really odd and, and who, can, who can bear under this? And this, is, this was, this was a, common, a common place back in, in Jesus' day was to have uh, high levels of divorce. And in addition to that, um, having children for women was quite risky. You, there was a high mortality rate. Giving children often led to death. And so you end up with families where you've got children from from various um, women, and uh, so your half siblings and things like that, and so so it was it, it it wasn't a rosy picture, as I guess is what I'm getting at uh, with you this morning. Is is it the family in Jesus' day was different to ours, but that didn't uh, that didn't necessarily make it better. Um, in the next slide, we can see actually here's a here's a picture of kind of what a house looked like in uh, a Jewish home in Roman in the Roman era. And, uh, and they had, so on the outside, you would have kind of uh, the, the dwelling places and places for animals. Uh, these are two different styles. And a flat roof, which is a place to gather. Uh, and then in the center, you might have a courtyard. And so rather than having a kitchen, you just had a common courtyard. And, and, and your place would, would expand with your family. So we had baby dedications. Back in Jesus' day, 
kids and grandkids, you're staying living with mom and dad. You still get to be part of it. So if you guys want to make some arrangements after the service, get a, get a bit of a larger house, but everybody's living together, and you just kept adding on. Uh, and you, you had this kind of two-story little house, and, uh, and you can get this picture of Jesus being laid in the manger, and maybe the animals are underneath, and their heat kept you warm, and their smell made you not sleep in. So, uh, so this is kind of a picture of the family um, in, in Jesus' day. It's, it's not entirely a, a pretty picture. It, it was some challenges. But Jesus and, and his disciples, when Jesus came and his disciples came, um, one of the things that Jesus did was reconfigure the family. So there was this normal family, which was quite messy, but Jesus and his disciples, when they came, they came Jesus came with a message that actually reconfigured um, the family. Uh, have any of you been, been watching that show, The Chosen? All right, so in this next picture here, we can't show a, a video clip because of the, the streaming. We'll get you in shut down. We don't want to do that. But um, if you're watching it, in this, there's a scene in the, in the first season where Jesus is speaking to a group of children. Uh, now, the directors put a lot of intentionality into filming that scene. They're actually communicating a whole lot of messages uh, that, that Jesus was communicating in his day. Uh, because this scene was really unusual. If someone came upon this scene, they would have thought it very odd and listened to this conversation. There's a lot of things that are odd about it, um, but, but that are true to Jesus and what he did. One is that here's a guy talking to, directly to children. This is, this is odd. Children had no status. Like, it was beyond, you know, be seen and not heard. The children had absolutely no status uh, in the society, and you certainly didn't talk to them directly and treat them like human beings. Uh, and Jesus, Jesus did this. Another thing that comes up in this scene is that Jesus isn't just talking to a group of boys, but you'll notice that there are boys and girls. You didn't educate the girls, certainly not with the boys. Uh, in the scene, Jesus uh, is asking questions, and we have the precocious little girl who knows all the answers, and we're all familiar with that today. Uh, I married one of those. So uh, anyway, we have, but we have this, um, and so she knows, she knows the answers. Uh, but, but the girls weren't taught, and Jesus makes this little side comment in the, in the clip that, you know, oh, she's not even in Torah class. You know, but she wouldn't have been in Torah class. So here comes Jesus, and he's talking to children, and he's talking to females, and Jesus did both of these things. He talked to them as children. He talked to them as adult, uh, adult females. So he's, he's upending a lot of the things that were considered normal in society. The Apostle Paul picks up on this too if you go into Ephesians or Colossians. But, but Paul, at the end of Ephesians, he gives all these, these directives to the family. Uh, and those directives are completely different to what you'd find in, in Paul's day. Because Paul talks to the father, and then he directly speaks to the wife, so the husband and father, the wife, and then he directly speaks to the children, children, obey your parents. He's speaking to them as if they're human beings. And then he speaks to the slaves and the slave owners. Um, he's treating everybody as human beings. In, in Roman literature, uh, there might be some lessons given to each of those categories of the family, but they're all given just to the father or the husband. 
This is how to manage your household. They're certainly not directly given to each of those different members as though they are somehow human beings. Uh, but Paul does this, and Jesus does this, and so we have this, uh, we have this radical, really, what Jesus did with the family was radically upend all kinds of uh, expectations and social expectations. He started to actually treat everybody as, as human beings, uh, and that's We've gotten so far away from it, we don't, uh, we don't recognize how precious and how unusual that was. Jesus didn't just upend the family structure in that way. Uh, Jesus and his disciples completely reconfigured what the family uh, looked like and redefined what family is, and he redefined it based on his call. And we find that Jesus' call ultimately triumphs over the family. This is perhaps the most radical thing that, that Jesus did. Uh, take a look at this next uh, verse here. A couple of So here is Jesus, and he's doing his teaching in a house, and his mother and brothers arrive. And, and it says, standing outside, they sent someone to call him. And the crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. And listen to what Jesus says. Who are my mother and my brothers? Jesus says, Here, here's his mother. And he says, who are my mother and my brothers? And then he goes on to say, uh, then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and brothers Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus reconfigures the entire family structure around those who hear and obey God. Those who respond to the call of God become part of the family of God. Now, you can imagine what that's going to do in Jesus' society and world. So here's this, this Jewish rabbi, unofficial rabbi, going around telling people that here is the real family. Here are my mother and my brothers and my sisters, those who hear and obey. And, and he's going to call them into, into listening to him. So can you imagine if you're a, a, a Jewish family and someone listens to this guy calling out and saying, hey, I got this message for you from God and, and I want you to follow me. And they start to follow. What's that going to do to the, the family that's left behind that thinks, I, I don't think that this is the way you should go? Jesus has no illusions about that. Look at this next verse from Luke. Uh, here Jesus says, Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two and, and two against three. And it goes on, They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother. Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Well, that one, you know. Um, but, but here Jesus says, 
Jesus says, listen, this is, what's, this is the consequence of what I'm doing with the family here. I'm redefining the family by the call of God. And when people respond to that call, there is a great potential for consequences to the biological family. There's a biological family, and, and there's the, the family that is formed by responding to the God, call of God. And when you respond to the call of God, there might be consequences. And so there's all this, all this stuff that, that Jesus um, does, and we get this picture now of, of what the family looked like in, in Jesus' day. Um, now, with all of that sitting and ruminating in our, in our brains, let's go, to the, let's go to our passage here in Mark. We're going to look at a couple verses in, uh, in Mark. So here, here Jesus says, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to be fishers, to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. And without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Now, Zebedee is someone we don't actually know too much about. This is his kind of one-hit wonder, five minutes of fame, not even five minutes. Uh, Basically, Zebedee is the father of James and John, and the husband of, of Salome. So we don't ever hear from Ze- about Zebedee again. We only ever see Zebedee's name as it is attached to James and John. He's their dad. Uh, we can gather some things from this passage. We can gather the fact that there are some hired men in the boats that they leave him with means that he was doing all right. He wasn't just fishing and eking out enough of an existence just to supply for his own family. He actually had enough, he had a bit of an enterprise going on. So, so he, was, he was a bit maybe wealthier. He was maybe at a, at a slightly higher class uh, than some other fishermen, maybe, maybe higher class than, than Peter and Andrew. Uh, he, he had people on the payroll. Uh, so, so he's up, up in status a little bit. Um, but we don't know anything else about him. He doesn't show up again. His wife shows up again. She's the mom that tries to negotiate with Jesus on behalf of her children. Remember that scene? And trying to get them the good spots in the kingdom. Um, good, good mother. And, and mom is there when Jesus dies. Mom is at the cross. So, so mom and James and John all become disciples of Jesus. But we don't hear about Zebedee again. And don't really know what happened to him. But here we have this, this call. So we have this picture in our heads of, of what does it look like in Jesus' day to be, to be family and what Jesus is doing with family. And as Jesus is calling people out of their families to become part of another family that's defined by, by his call. Uh, so we want to put all that together and say, okay, so what? What does that mean for us? What does that mean for us today? Uh, a few thoughts on, on, on this for us uh, this morning. Um, 
as we, as we put all these pieces together. The first is that because of what Jesus did and because of what Jesus taught, the local church, this, you guys and you online who are watching, this, this is now the family. This is now a new family. So when we had a baby dedication and, and, and the congregation rises and say, are you, are you going to be part of this? Part of this raising up? That's because you're, you're part of a family. Because the family is defined by those who respond to the call of God. So this is, this is a big reality. And, and this is an important reality right now in our time. Look, we have family squabbles, right? I mean, who doesn't have Thanksgiving dinner and somebody's crazy uncle so-and-so or whatever, right? But we, we've all got this. But, but you're still family. The church is to be a family. And, and that has implications. Now, now hear me. That has implications for how we treat one another. We're, we're a family. Right now, uh, church is... is I don't mean this church, in general. The church is not doing so well as family. There is a lot of division. There's a lot of unfamiliness. In fact, there's some of that even in the biological families. But we're called to be better than that. And, and this is following what Jesus said. So, so here, is, here is a new family. This new family of God, there's only one father. All the rest of us are children. All of us are children. There's no mom and dad. There's no cousins and aunts and uncles. We are all children. We are all on the same level space. No one is above anyone else. We are all children. And, and that reminds us as well that God has no grandchildren. So that's why this, this baby dedication um, was, was happily arranged for this message this morning. Uh, but we have a baby dedications. And, and the reason that, that we dedicate and we don't baptize into salvation, we, don't, we dedicate a baby is because we're committing to help see our children go up and become part of the family by hearing and obeying the call of God, because that's how you become part of the family. There's, there's nothing that happens on this stage at a baby dedication that, that brings a child into the family of God, but, but we all commit to, to helping those children in our midst to reach that point where they will decide to become part of the family of God. But, but God doesn't have uh, grandchildren. He only has children. Each one of us ultimately needs to decide whether or not we want to be part of the family. We can opt in and we can opt not to be in. And I'm a parent. I got two kids. This is the, I'm at the stage where this worries me. My kids are good, but you know, I, I know what's coming down the road. And I, so so I, I think about these things and, and it concerns me. And uh, we're called to follow 
God's call as children, each one of us. So we're, we're, we're in a position now where, where that is, uh, in my role, dealing with, I guess in some sense, other people's growing children, young adults. Uh, I think about this because we have been, from faith, in a steady decline away from faith. If we can go back to, we started sort of in the, in the uh, looking at generational faith, we, we see, we kind of see this, this steady drop in people saying, yeah, I w- I'm opting in to be part of the family. So particularly, it took a turn in the 1960s, and it's been tracked in the data ever since, that, that there has been an exodus, and right now we're facing a, a significant exodus of, of young adults when they get to, when they kind of get to that 18 to 24 range, there's a significant exodus from the church, a significant exodus from, from the family of God. So the, we've reached a point where today, with, with Generation Z, the, the students that, that are part of our college now, the, the, that age group, uh, is now for the first time in history a post-Christian generation. Post-Christian doesn't mean that there's no Christians, but it means that there are more people of that age demographic without any association whatsoever to anything Christian than there are those with association to anything Christian. We've reached that, we've reached that point now in history. There are more unaffiliated or, and unassociated in any way, shape, or form with Christianity than, than with it. It's a crisis. It's a challenge. It's also an opportunity. Uh, but, it, but it gives us, I think, both, both two things to be, to be thinking about. There's both a, a harsh reality that we, we need to grapple with, uh, and, and there's also a sobering truth. The, the, the harsh reality is this, is that parents, in our roles, uh, we, can either, we can either pave the way or be in the way sometimes of God's call. I see this, I see this often. One of, the, one of the biggest obstacles to attracting students to a college like ours is often Christian parents, interestingly, uh, who, who say, well, no, that's, that's not going to do, do you. You got to get on with your... Get on with your life and your career. Don't, don't, bother, with, don't bother with that. Uh, but it's having an effect because we don't see the same number of leaders emerging and hearing that call of God because it's been deferred often by, by parents. Uh, my wife uh, comes from a Christian home. I come from a kind of a mixed background. But uh, so my wife was like the, you know, the, she was, like I said, she was the keener in class, right? You know that one? Well, she was like the, the good, the good Christian, come from that family. But we met at uh, at a Bible college, and uh, and I went there. I mean, you know, I was not going to be voted most likely to attend Bible college. Let me say that. So, but my wife, my wife uh, felt really called to go there. Um, her her father was uh, was an elder at their church, and um, everything. He told her, "No, you can't go there." And she felt so stirred that she needed to go, and she's from Ontario, uh, and she came out west, 
And uh, she felt so stirred she needed to go that, uh, that she went, and he didn't speak to her for a year. Um, but she came out in what she could only say is obedience. Uh, and as a reward, <laughs> hey, <laughs> hey, the Lord provides, okay? So, <laughs> but, but, but she came out um, and, and did that, and, and, and it was the right, you know, ultimately everything was reconciled. But, but she, she did that out of, out of that obedience. It's interesting, on the way here today, I met with a, one of our pastors in, in Saskatchewan, new pastors, and they've come out of a, a, a church background that's maybe closer or more on the cult side. And uh, as, a res- as a consequence of them responding to God's call for them to go into ministry, uh, they now have strained and in some places lost ties with with some of their family but they said we can't we can't not do this we can't do otherwise uh, and so they're they're serving so so we have this um we have this this reality that uh, that we can either pave the way or, or be in the way and I, I get it i'm a parent like i don't want my child to be called off to some place that's scary you know, I want them to be safe and bubble wrapped. That's uh, that's my inclination. But, um, but ultimately, I feel the need to, to be aware of that. The, again, just looking at that verse, the, the, there will be potential for division. But if we're all children, then we all have the opportunity to respond to that. So that's that's one of our harsh our harsh realities that we face. Uh, here's a sober truth is that we are um, inheriting a challenge with the exodus of of young leaders is at the beginning of, or or not at the beginning, sort of midpoint in COVID, well, I don't know, who knows where we are. At some point in COVID, uh, this this stat was was put out, and at first I didn't believe it, but now I'm actually seeing it manifest, that up to 30% of Christian leaders are expected to exit ministry before this pandemic is over. And I thought, no way. That, that started out in the States. I saw that stat, and I thought, I think that's an overstatement, uh, except that it's happening right before my eyes. We are, we are seeing this happen at, at, at senior levels. On top of that, um, we already had the exodus just because so many of our leaders are, are baby boomers who are moving on to, to the age of retirement and um, leaving, leaving holes. So there is, um, there is a, a reality. But this is the sober truth of it, is, is that we need a new generation of Christian leaders. We need it if we're going to reverse that trend, if we're going to reverse that downward spiral, that downward trend away from away from commitment to the faith. We need a new generation of leaders. Uh, new generation isn't always youngish. Uh, it's, can be, God can be calling you at any point, and maybe God is, is calling people that he called a long time ago and they put them on hold for a bit. But, but the reality is we need, we need this. God's kingdom, God works with people, and God calls people, but he, he gives us the dignity of being able to respond to him, yes or 
No. So with this generational decline, this decline away from faith, uh, I'm actually optimistic. I see, I see the characteristics in the, in the Generation Z that's coming up that, are, that give me tremendous hope. Uh, I see a resilience. I see an ingenuity. I see a commitment and a passion to Jesus. And I'm excited about the future. And, and I'm excited the second place that I have hope is in our new Canadians who are bringing to Canada a more robust faith than we sometimes find um, in, our, in our home churches and are awakening us again to the passion and returning us to our first love. So, so God is moving. I'm not, I'm not um, wanting to put us here on or leave us here on a negative, I'm actually, I'm actually quite optimistic. But it does leave us, in the end, uh, with the question, and that is, that is who, who is it that's going to be in the boat? When the man on the seashore calls out, who's going to be in the boat? And just imagine for a minute as you think about that, if Zebedee, who had all the authority in his, in his social world, if Zebedee had said to James and John, no. If Zebedee had looked at his kids and said, I've built up this tremendous enterprise. I've secured your future. We've got hired men working here. I've carved out a path for your future, and this guy on the seashore calling you to get out of this boat? No. That doesn't make sense. Our world would be different if Zebedee had said no. So I put this to, to you today. I encourage you as, as, as you gather as a church family, as you gather in, in this city and, and be a, a light and a witness to your community that you witness most effectively as a family that loves one another, uh, not as the ones who are arguing at Thanksgiving dinner. So let me, let me pray for you, and, uh, I'll, and I'll turn it over to Pastor Glenn. Lord Jesus, I thank you, God, for this community. I thank you that you've called them here, that you have establish them as a light in Brandon. And I pray that you would empower them by your spirit, Lord Jesus, to hear your voice, to step out, to obey, and to be your workers, Lord, here, making, making this place advance your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Let's continue the conversation online. Visit us at BethelBrandon.ca or follow us on Facebook.